Security. Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week where we bring you the goods on cybersecurity on the Security Squawk Podcast. I am your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Reginald Andre and Randy Bryan. How are you, gentlemen? Welcome to another week of cyber attacks. Hey, what's going on? So this week, guys, we, we're going to jump into <clears throat> some existing cyber attacks that are going on. I think we've got like four, I think. And then uh, on the back end here, we'll jump into some key trends that we're seeing, some interesting stuff, kind of to bring everybody kind of up to speed on what's happening out there in the world when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, <clears throat> I would be remiss if I didn't mention something about what's happening over in the Middle East. Yes, we are hearing reports of Cyber attacks increasing from various groups, um, Russia, Iran, all being included in those groups. Um, but we don't have any detailed information other than some government websites and things like that. Um, but I'm sure as time moves on here and this conflict uh, moves on and drags on, we're going to learn more about uh, different cyber attacks and, and different, you know, not only state-sponsored groups, but cyber, but criminal groups that are uh, taking advantage of the situation. So, yeah, I want to make a little comment about that. You know, we yep. mentioned that when the Ukraine war broke out, um, we saw, I think it was a 5X ish increase in attacks on 365 coming out of Russia and a 10X attack um, increase um, on attacks coming out of China. Like, like over that weekend, it went whoop, whoop. And, you know, bottom line is that's going to be the new normal. Um, I think uh, being cyber secure is, uh, is, you know, it's like a national responsibility at this point, man. You know, it's something that we that we need uh, desperately because that's going to be how it is every time we're in any kind of a conflict anywhere in the world. There's going to be tons of cyber cybersecurity stuff. Cybersecurity stuff. That's right. So, Andre, anything you want to share on your thoughts on the, what's going on in the world today? <laughs> Um, no, outside of what you guys shared is fine. I am at a Southeast Regional Domestic um, Security Task Force, where it's uh, basically the law enforcement in the Southeast region of Florida. Um, they they protect about 6 million uh, citizens. So it's really cool hearing, um, I'll move my, it's really cool hearing about what's happening in the conference. And the surprising thing is that everything we're talking about in the show is like, they're, they're like they, as if they watched our show and they're talking about all the you know key words that we've been talking about. So it's good to know that we are ahead of it, and um, and um, you guys are listening to it. Yeah, and that goes without saying. Remember to, if you're a frequent viewer or listener of the show, uh, you know that we always ask you to share the show. Um, but for the new people, um, if you don't know, we don't do ads. We never have. We're going over two years strong with this podcast. Um, and we don't bore you with that kind of stuff. We bring you the goods. We talk shop uh, from our expertise level for 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. Um, and we do it because we have a passion for this stuff and we want to educate the public about what's going on out there because we really do feel like 
very few people really understand this and understand the threats that are out there and what's coming here in the future. So our goal with the show is to try to get the word out so people start to understand this stuff um, at a deeper level. You know, we, we joke about it, but the MGM hack got a lot of people's attention because a lot of people go to Vegas or a lot of people use the MGM app to gamble from their phone. Um, and it impacted, you know, a lot of people. And I think I said on the show, I don't remember anything this popular since Colonial Pipeline. Right. Um, but so many cyber attacks happen on a daily basis. And that's why we do this show, because, it, 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 you know, it's been three years between Colonial Pipeline and MGM. And there's been tens of thousands of cyber attacks between then and now. Um, and that's what we do on this show. We highlight those things. We talk about them, why they happen and what people can learn from them uh, so they can make changes in their own business. So because we do that, we just ask that you share the show, right? Or comment or like, or do something on social media. Don't just watch our content and do nothing. Help us out. Help other people in your network find this information uh, because it may help somebody in your network one day. And that's all we ask is that you share the show, like, comment, subscribe where you can. And that helps us grow our show and we'll continue to do it in this format as long as you keep supporting us the way that you are. So guys, Alfie Ransomware claims attack on Florida Circuit Court. That's our first topic for today. This black cat group, Alfie, um, a prolific ransomware group, has just claimed an attack that affected state courts across Northwest Florida. Um, and it's part of the first judicial circuit. And this happened last week and allegedly the, three act or the threat actors have acquired personal details like social security numbers and resumes of employees, including judges. Additionally, Alfie claims uh, to possess a comprehensive network map of the court's systems, complete with local and remote service credentials. Yikes. Uh, the ransomware gang commonly uh, uh, threatens to leak stolen data online to coerce victims into negotiation or reopening discussions. Uh, the present Presence of the Florida's first judicial circuit data leak page on Alfie's website suggests that the court has either not engaged in negotiations with the ransomware operation or has firmly declined to meet the gang's demands. So I'm going to stop there and kind of get your thoughts. Andre, we'll start with you since this is in your home state. Uh, well, I, uh, my question is, why the heck do they have in plain text social security numbers and all of this personal information just basically like in an Excel spreadsheet um, accessible for anybody, for these, for these people to be able to um, get access to. Because uh, no one thought about it. <laughs> I mean, and back in 1994, when they started keeping uh, stuff like that in a spreadsheet, that's just how they did it. That's my, my guess. Well, I mean, you bring up a good point, though, when you ask that question, right? Because you can, you can, you can kind of split that question up in, in the different, you know, kind of theories or ways to look at it, right? One is, quite frankly, the judicial system's behind the times when it comes to this stuff. There's no requirement for them to encrypt this stuff, mm -hmm. right? So it's a choice, right? there's very few regulated industries where encryption is a big piece. HIPAA being one of one of the ones like everybody knows in HIPAA, 
kind of the get out of jail free card with HIPAA is making sure that everything that you have is encrypted, especially when it comes to electronic health records. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, nobody's forcing these guys to use encryption. They don't, you know, and they may not understand why they need to, at least until now, right? Um, so that's thing one. I mean, encryption, it's a great question to ask, but my, my input would be they're probably not required to do it. So, you know, unless somebody's forcing them to do it, you know, why would they do it? Um, that's kind of the attitude most businesses have these days when it comes to this stuff. That's why we have this show to kind of educate people on this is kind of the lay of the land out there and what's going on out there. And anybody who thinks that when they submit something to a court, um, it, that's being handled correctly. Well, here's proof that it's not. So, okay, I'll give you that one. But then what about the next line where it talks about remote local and remote service credentials? Well, that, well, that right there, I mean, that's just, they're already in the network and they're, and they're, and they're getting more access. I mean, that's, that's it at the end of the day. Um, they have two terabytes of data and it doesn't appear. And because they're on the dark web leak site, that leads us to believe that this Florida court has decided not to negotiate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the Alpha V, they're just showing the world, like, here's the level of access we have. Um, now, I think it takes guys like us to kind of explain to people, layman's people, like, this is pretty bad, um, the level of access they have. Because I think maybe the people making the decisions around not to negotiate don't really understand what this group can do with what they have. Thoughts on that, Randy? Do you agree? Disagree? No? Oh, yeah, I agree. I don't have any extra thoughts. Yeah. So um, other than that, there's we don't have a ton of information on that, right? The, you know, they're trying to work through some kind of, I guess you want to call it, um, business continuity plan. Um, they disclosed, it, you know, it, that they were investigating a cyber attack that disrupted operations last week, last Monday. Um, this event will significantly affect court operations across the circuit, impacting courts in Escambia, Oskaloosa, Santa Rosa, and Walton counties for an extended period of time. And the circuit is prioritizing essential court proceedings, but will cancel and reschedule other proceedings and pause related operations for several days beginning Monday, October 2nd. Um, you know, they're just basically saying they're trying to communicate with litigants and attorneys regarding rescheduling. Um, you know, when like, this is kind of the MO for courts when, when things happen. I mean, I know at least in New Jersey, you know, when there's snow, this is kind of the normal course of business. They just kind of cancel everything and, and, and kick everything down the road schedule wise, which is why, you know, you hear a lot of complaints about the court system and how slow things are. Um, <clears throat> you know, other than that, guys, I mean, I don't know. I kind of get the impression and my feeling is, is this is, they're not taking it as serious as it is. They're like, like going back to what I said, they're kind of treating it like a snowstorm and it's not a snowstorm. Yeah. Yeah. Sweep it under the rug, move on. 
they're trying. I don't think it's going to work out that way. <laughs> so anything else you want to add to this before we kind of move on? Just one quick thought. It says that they've released personal information of judges. And that's, you know, going back to the whole national security or, you know, foundation of civilization kind of thing. I mean, it's very important that judges that judges have a certain uh, amount of, um, you know, being anonymous, if you will. Um, and it's really kind of disturbing to me that that would be leaked online because then that could be used to harass them or try to influence them or, you know, try to bribe them or whatever. Um, so that's a little disturbing there. And I don't think they're taking it, taking it serious enough. Could be used in a, uh, uh, for political purposes as well. Yes. So, <clears throat> so moving right along, uh, good luck to the Florida Circuit Court there, getting out of that little pickle with Alf V, probably one of the most prolific groups out there today. Um, and then we have Flagstar Bank customers. They were um, customers of the Move It um, software product. And they've just released that the Michigan-based bank had personal data from 837,000-plus customers across the U.S. stolen after its third-party mobile banking and payment processing provider, Fiserv, uh, was impacted by the MoveIt hack. Uh, the COP ransomware operation, which compromised more than 64 million individuals across 2,000 organizations around the world. Uh, wow. Um, <clears throat> so again, a bank outsourced payment processing to a, a third party company. And now this company has 830,000 plus customers who had their data stolen as a result of what Fiserv was doing and using, um, for software to run the services that they provide to these banks. It's kind of like a supply chain on top of a supply chain mm -hmm. mess for the banking industry. Yeah. And go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, we kind of mentioned it before in past shows, but at this point you have to assume that your data is out there. Like it's a no win situation when it comes to your social security number, um, your bank information. It's like, we talked about the courts now a bank. It's like, you know, you're just, if you're just a consumer and you're just dealing with these entities and they're just getting clopped no, no pun intended. It's, you have to assume that your social security is uh, is out there and you have to make safeguards uh, to make sure that it's not being in use. Yeah, and this is uh, crazy because this is actually their third big attack. Um, so they had an attack in 2021 when they had um, customer and employee data, including names, phone numbers, addresses, social security numbers and tax records, um, which was also a CLOP ransomware attack that targeted its Acelian file transfer server. And then in 2022, they had 1.5 million of the bank's customers had their information leaked, including um, names and social security numbers um, that was a, that came from another breach that happened. That was uh, June 2022. So, um, man, I wonder if there's any customers left at that bank whose stuff hasn't been uh, leaked yet. And now it's wild. So we also have another cyber attack to discuss. Um, there's an Oklahoma grocery store 
and their shipment of food got delayed due to a cyber attack on another company. So here we go with more supply chain types of attacks and everybody's, you know, we've been talking about it for almost the whole entire 2023, this whole third party risk, understanding your partner's risk to your company and, and, and what the impact if they get hit with ransomware or some other cyber event can be on, on your business. <clears throat> and it's, you know, more and more guys that we're seeing these types of things where some other company got hit and it's impacting the operations of, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten, twenty 10, 20 other companies. Um, and this is just becoming more and more prevalent as, as we move on and these hackers get, get better, quite frankly, at what they're doing. Uh, but we have this Phelps grocery store and uh, the story we have here is from uh, Oklahoma and um, Manford, Oklahoma. There is the Phelps grocery store and they were impacted by this. Uh, and basically what happened was this associate wholesale grocers, it's one of the nation's largest cooperative food wholesalers to the largest, actually. It is the largest uh, to independently owned markets. Um, so think about your small mom and pop supermarkets that are still out there, right? Um, very few of them left. Uh, and, you know, this, this, this is the supplier for those grocery stores for the most part. Um, and the hack has affected the company's ability to process and ship orders, causing its trucks to be stranded in Oklahoma City. And a lot of popular items are unavailable to customers who depend on Phelps because it's the largest grocery store in Manford, Oklahoma. Um, so I just want to kind of stop there, guys, and talk about this. Randy, this, you live in more of an area like this than we do, so you might have some perspective on how important these types of grocery stores. I know in the green room you kind of kidded about it, saying it was like a little grocery store. Um, but, <clears throat> like, this is clearly this town's main source of, of food um, from what I'm reading. And maybe you can kind of shed some shed some uh of your perspective of of what this could could mean for people in this town yeah i mean it's probably it's probably true i would say across most of the country but especially i know true in most of rural oklahoma especially you're going to have mostly independent groceries uh grocery stores that are you're going to be locally owned uh that's true of a lot of towns a lot of small towns in texas as well and you know, yeah, people can get in cars and drive, um, but the next town also might, the next town over might also be an associated wholesale, wholesale uh, grocers uh, store would also be impacted um, by that. It's, this is interesting because most of the time a supply chain attack, um, when we hear about it, it's, you know, somebody messed up the code somewhere, you know, bad guys got into the code, injected themselves in there, and then that shows up in the supply chain this is literally a physical supply chain where you have a, a an associated grocery it's like a co-op where you have this very very uh probably a large warehouse somewhere or a you know network of rent of warehouses and you know they're distributing food to all of these grocery stores all over everywhere i mean i know i know that particular brand they're big in texas as well um, so, yeah, so this this has the potential not just to affect, 
you know, one small town at one grocery store in Oklahoma, but this has the potential to affect thousands of grocery stores probably all around the country. And I'm sure, you know, countries that don't like the U.S. is taking note of this. You know, there's one thing that we always talk about it. Well, we don't talk about, but, you know, attacking U.S. physically. But if, you know, you go after the grocery store um, and, you know, cripple America that way. So I'm sure, um, you know, China, Iran, et cetera, are definitely taking note of that. Yeah. And, you know, this is kind of I don't want to get off on the weeds too much, Brian. So rain me. You're going to get my tinfoil hat over here. Exactly. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Let me play my X-Files uh, music. Yeah, this is no X-Files. But over the last 30 years, we have really moved to what's called just in time. And, you know, um, Toyota's famous for that to where, you know, they have a car coming down. It needs a blah, blah, blah. Just when it needs the blah, 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 they place the orders and then boom, they, they pop the blah, blah, blahs in there and they keep moving it down where everything kind of happens. You know, we do it all the time. We run out of blah, we run out of something. We get on Amazon, we buy it. You know, we need a technical supply. We get on Amazon, we buy it. And that has really become our norm. Well, the, the thing is with, with attacks like this, it can disrupt to where just in time doesn't work anymore. And so I think we're seeing a shift of, you know, maybe people are keeping more things on hand than they used to have, you know, um, more toilet paper, maybe, I don't know, more routers, more firewalls in stock where you keep more things on hand because you never know when you're going to run into a disruption, a disruption like this. And it's, it's been really true the last three years. We've 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 really um, ran into this time and time again. So anyway, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, and this guy, the store manager Eddie Youngblood. You know, he. And I just want to point this out because it is important. Um, he said things like this happened during COVID, and they've learned to work through it. This ain't like COVID. Um, yeah, you might have had a driver shortage because people were sick or couldn't come to work or what have you. Um, but there was always kind of a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak with, with that, like there's a pretty good chance that this company doesn't know when they're going to be able to resume operations. Mm -hmm. So it, it just kind of goes to show you and again, why we do this show is people don't understand this stuff. And they're just, you know, this guy saying, we're just glad our customers are understanding. Well, they're going to be understanding to a point, right? You know, he's kind of going off on a limb by promising that, you know, what we didn't have last Saturday, we're going to have this Saturday. And I guess they were having some kind of one day sale. So they're going to basically be able to take advantage of last week's sale this week. Um, that's super optimistic, in my opinion, especially for a third party, because he has no control over whether or not, you know, this, you know, associated wholesale grocers gets their systems back up and running. So, you know, that's a lesson learned here maybe for the, for this outfit is to really understand like what you say in the public and, and certain things like that. It could be helpful and it could be hurtful. And I think, you know, you're walking a fine line here by saying things like this because, if you don't have groceries in the store next on Saturday, this statement's going to be hurtful because because customers are going to go, well, you said, you know, they would, you'd be back up and running by Saturday. And you're not. And now they're pissed off and then they're going to find another grocery store, even if they have to drive 7,500 miles to get to it.
Yeah, I think um, that that's true. But I think just from his perspective as a store manager, you know, we just, you know, we'd run out of all kinds of random things. And I think he's just saying that, you know, that was what happened all during COVID. And I don't know by workarounds, does he mean that have they, have they made connections with other suppliers, you know, uh, where they can get other certain things? Are they making runs to Sam's, you know, down in Wichita Falls and loading up that way? You know, what are they doing to work around these things? Um, but yeah, you're, you're probably right. They could be in for a big shock if they don't, if the uh, grocer, uh, the distributor doesn't get these issues worked out. And then moving right along, this is an interesting one. I don't know how big this one's going to blow up to. Um, and it's a big concern, right? Because I don't, a lot of people think of this company as like, kind of like an Amazon for IT. But the reality of it is, is they compete with us. Not only do they sell products, but they also sell services like cybersecurity services. Um, and Lockbit ransomware gang is threatening to release data on Wednesday stolen from CDW Corporation, a major IT reseller and service provider based out of the U.S., Canada, and U.K. Uh, and the gang members have come out of Lockbit gang members have come out um, and they made the decision because negotiations over the ransom fee broke down. So they started releasing this information on their Lockbit data leak site. Uh, and they're threatening the company and saying, you'll be able to see all the information. The negotiations are over and no longer in progress. And we have refused the ridiculous amount offered. Um, Lockbit listed CDW Corp as one of its victims early last month. Uh, it isn't known how much data was stolen or whether it includes personal information of employees and customers as well as corporate information. I'd be, I'd be scared a hell of a lot more than that you know, because you're talking about an mm -hmm. IT company. They, mm -hmm. they could have network maps. They could have all kinds of network information about companies. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, as a hacker, we, guys, if I knew what kind of computers a company was running – well, yeah. Well, look, they bought a bunch of Dell Attitudes back in, you know, 2018, right? And then I, if I can get inside their network and find those devices, and then run that, run known vulnerabilities against that device that I know exists on that device, because I know what devices that company's using. It's a little. It's like so such a trivial piece of information, but what a hacker can do with that. That's what I'm trying to illustrate by make by saying what I'm saying. Yeah, but not just any IT company. We're talking a twenty billion dollar IT company. Mm -hmm. So this is like, I mean, come on, protect your customers' information. Unless they're unless what they have is is not relevant, and and that's why they made that calculated risk. But I, I'll be curious to see what the um, what the price was offered, and you know what they found so disrespectful. So um, CDW uh, has not commented on this, and you got to believe that they're well aware that this is going on, especially if this group is saying that, you know, we, we were in negotiations with them and those negotiations broke down. So now we're going to start, you know, doing what we do, which is threaten and release information. And they'll start to slowly re release information out. 
hoping that this uh, CDW will reconsider and eventually, you know, go back to the negotiating table and potentially uh, negotiate down a ransom amount. Uh, be interesting to see where this one go, goes, guys, and how far how far it gets. Because mm-hmm. I would imagine that there's some pretty interesting proprietary information about CDW clients in there that their clients probably would rather not have out there. Yep. So, it, does it say in this article how much they asked for and how much the counter uh, the counter was to the original ask? I don't have that information in front of me. Um, it sounds like, and I guess this is, I guess to, to your point, I'm asking that question. Let's kind of educate people on, on what's ha- on what usually happens today. Chances are in this situation, and I don't have any inside information here. I'm just basing what I'm about to say on historical experience with dealing with groups like this. And these groups are usually inside of a network for a very long period of time. Could be months, could be six months, could be eight months, could be two months. While they're in there, they're looking for information. They're looking for how much money does this company have, right? CDW is publicly traded. It's pretty easy to kind of figure out where things are at with them. But also they can find things like insurance policies, contracts, all that kind of stuff. And all that is used as leverage to get them to pay. And and that's what companies, I think, fail to understand is the hackers have a leg up in these negotiations because they probably already have information about your company that you might not realize that they have. And they're using that in every step of the negotiation process. And it's kind of like you're flying blind in the negotiation because you don't realize the information that they have on you. And you're trying to play, you know, I've seen companies where they're like, don't don't tell them we don't have that much money. We don't have that kind of money. (laughs) Hackers know that they have that kind of money because they have documents that support it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I want people to understand is you, you're not negotiating with some guy halfway around the world who's just picking a number out of thin air and asking you to pay it. There's usually very good methodical reasoning behind the number that they're asking for. And the more data that they have, more information they found on you, the less they're going to be willing to be to back off that number. You know, they, they also can get information from like Zoom info and places like that. And you have to think about the fact that people think that you click on a link in an email and then, oh, next thing you know, all the computers are ransomed. You click on a link in an email and it opens up sometimes, will open up some sort of little process, like a little bitty worm is going to come out of your computer, it's going to go into the network and it's going to start off the land. And it's going to build a profile of everything that's going on. They're going to put research into this and they're not going to just like blindly fly into it. They're going to know everything about you from the inside. They're going to have all the research available about everything about you from the outside. And so, you know, these these things have uh, the negotiations here have basically stalled into looks like they're they're pissed at each other. 
um, because probably they asked for a lot more money than CDW is willing to uh, pay. Yeah, so. I don't think I don't think CDW is pissed at them. I think hackers are pissed at CDW for <laughs> even letting it go this far. <clears throat> so um, CDW, if anything, is is probably sitting there going, probably not even believing that they were hacked. <laughs> more than likely. Well, so MGM guys, let's kind of wrap wrap up our our current events that you section of the of the show. Um, you know, it's been widely reported that MGM expects uh, at least a hundred million dollar hit from this cyber attack. Uh, I, I think it's just going to go up from there. Uh, but it's basically uh, where we're at right now is the cyber crew that infiltrated MGM in a cyber attack in September came away with personally identifiable information from customers in an operation that the resort giant said will cost it some $100 million. Uh, they filed an 8K with the SEC, uh, and they did state that the full scope of cost has yet to be determined. And that, like, that's why I said that the number is probably going to go up because usually – you know, just based on my observation of their response and, you know, my experience with other companies doing this kind of stuff that you combine those two things and they're probably not exactly, you know, nailing the number down to the, you know, down to where it needs to be. hundred million is a round number. Somebody's just pulling that, you know, out of thin air, basically doing some quick math, but when it comes down to it, the class action lawsuits hit. Um, this is going to cost them way more than what's being advertised right now. Yeah. Uh, the stolen information included name and contact information, such as phone number, email address, and postal address, gender, date of birth, and driver's license numbers. And for a limited number of customers, social security numbers and passport numbers were also obtained by the criminal actors. You got to put the quotes. You can't just say, because you just passed by that, a limited number. What is limited well, number MGM? numbers, they're whales because you only have to give your social security number if you gamble a certain amount. So mm -hmm. social security numbers for U.S. residents, passport numbers for foreigners, that would be my guess. Um, and and that's what they're talking about. Like, you know, there's, you know, if you look at the percentage of people that go to casinos – Obviously, if you walk into a casino and you put money down, you're you're a gambler. You're a gambler. But there's there's low level gamblers, right? That don't spend a whole lot. They're just there to have a good time while they're in Vegas or whatever. And then you have like serious people who spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars at these casinos every single month. And you know that's probably the customers they're talking about there. Um, but like for me. Like this brings up a whole host of like situations that could come down the pike for these customers. Um, extortion, you know, if you dig in hard enough on some of these people, you may find that, you know, they don't want this information getting out. Maybe, maybe they're, you know, the owner of a big company, a CEO of a big company, and they don't want people to know that they're a degenerate gambler, right? And so a cyber criminal or a criminal will use that if they can, if they can understand by just simply sending a stupid email, right? We see these dumb emails that come across all the time. Like, Hey, I hijacked your camera. I saw everything that you did. And like, we get people that email us those messages in and be like, Oh, is this legitimate? It's like, 
we, we kind of look at each other and go, really? Like, were you doing something in front of your camera where you need to be concerned about this kind of stuff? But the reality of it is, is you can get a simple email like that that says like, hey, I know you're a degenerate gambler and, you know, if this ever got out, so so pay me this amount of money, right, for, for you know, or otherwise I'm going to release that, you know, to, to the public that you're a degenerate gambler. You guys think that's something that could happen? Yeah, and uh, the, the <clears throat> article also mentioned that you got some passports and, you know, other information from who knows if it's their employees or customers, but it's not going to be good um, at all for them. And as you said, let the class action lawsuits come. Yeah, and you know, they all they have to do is take all that information and pop it into evil chat GPT, which is chat GPT with the good evil switch switch to evil and pop that in there and just say, hey, here's all the information of all the stuff that we've stolen that's been leaked, all the users, all the customers. Give us some good angles for attack or write us a phishing campaign or whatever. That's what we're going to be seeing tons more of. We already are, but we're going to see that that's going to explode in like in the next few months. So um, MGM has it's been reported by the Wall Street Journal that MGM has refused to meet the hackers ransom demands. Uh, and they're going to try to go about this using their own recovery. Caesars Entertainment, which was also hit by a ransomware attack, is believed to have paid about half of the 30 million demanded by the hackers to prevent mm -hmm. disclosure of the stolen data. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what come, kind of comes out of that. And if people decide to not do business with MGM as a result of them not doing everything they could to prevent that data from getting released, um, kind of like, what, you know, what, what Caesars did, if you want to look at it that way. There's always a risk that you pay that money and the data still gets released. Well, yeah. So the bank that we talked a little bit um, about um, at the beginning or near the beginning of the show, notice the first attack and the third attack were the same company. And mm -hmm. so they paid the ransom. But I you almost know for sure that the original the, the, the attacker, they didn't remove their stuff, you know. They probably never do. Like, why should they? They they probably expect you to root that out. Um, I do. I do know we need to wrap up the show soon, but I saw a pretty good question come in on the comments. That'd be awesome yeah, we if will. we could look at it. Yeah, we will. Um, one last thing on this that I want to kind of mention is that the the other thing too is I did say you always run the risk of the data getting released, even if you pay. And people are like, well, what's the point of that, right? Why would you pay if you still run the risk? But here's here's my perspective and what I've seen. Cyber criminals can get hacked too. And cyber criminals, cybersecurity isn't that great a lot of times. They're not sitting there spending a whole lot of time thinking about, you know, their defense and if they get hacked. And the risk you run is... Yeah, now they, somebody else is in possession of your data and they're saying we're not going to release it. But what if that entity gets hacked by somebody and they're like, oh, I'm in a cyber criminals network. I'm going to take all this data that I just found and I'm going to start selling it out on the dark web. 
Um, there's absolutely that that is absolutely within the realm of possibility where a third party hacks a, a cyber criminal group and then starts releasing that data. Um, so, you know, just food for thought there when it comes to this stuff. And uh, so and then so you want to jump to Steve's question or you want to jump to trends? Well, I'm, I'm at my hard stop, so probably Steve's question. Do you do we have 10 more minutes? Andre and I have been chatting about this in the green room for about 10 minutes. Don't we have to stop at 2? No, he said 45. Oh, okay. All right. So we'll, we'll pop up, Steve. My bad. I thought we I thought we had to uh, It's not the hardest stop I've ever had, but it is. I have to be somewhere, and it's going to take me a minute to get there. Yeah, and you know I don't watch the chat when we're doing the show. Right. <laughs> I know you don't. We always make fun of you in the chat. Not make fun of you, but we tease you. So, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Sorry, I'm looking for new co-hosts anyway. So, <laughs> so Stephen uh, mentioned, uh, you know, to us that it makes sense to assume our data is out there on the dark web. So. What happened? What do you guys? And I guess we'll do a round the horn here, real quick, to end the show. What safeguards would you recommend from these risks if you are get get an alert that says your your some some piece of your data is on the dark web? We'll start with uh, Andre. Go ahead. Well, first thing I do is any like I don't know if this is legal or illegal, but like sometimes I'll go to the doctor's office and they'll ask me for my social security number and i'll just give them i'll just make it up i'm not giving and when you're filling it out on a sheet of paper when you know they have to scan it and not like fraud it could be i, mean, <laughs> I give them my insurance information that huh. of course but like why does why do they need my social um maybe there's but anyways it, nobody's knocked on my door but um in addition to that talking about safeguards of course um uh, well, maybe it's not a course for our audience, but there's different services that can uh, monitor your social, lock your social, um, and then that way, if someone's trying to open up an account, it, it's going to alert you, and it's not going to let that person, um, even if it's you, it's not going to let you uh, open up an account or do anything that may uh, change your credit score without doing a verification process. Yeah, that's what I was going to, uh, to mention is... Um, all three of the, the credit bureaus in the United States, um, there's other countries that use them as well, but TransUnion, Experia, Experian, Experian, I can't remember the other one, but Equifax. all three of them, Equifax. yeah, Equifax. So by law in the US, you can freeze your credit and um, where, where no, no nothing can be pulled at all. Um, so you can freeze it and then, um, then you can unfreeze it, um, and then by law they have to be you have to be able to refreeze it instantly. So like we had to get new internet at our house, and it required a soft credit hit. And they're like, "Hey, we tried to hit it, and it came back and said said it, you know we couldn't even get in." So I unfroze it. I let them know, "Hey, go ahead and hit it now." They hit it, and then I froze it back. And that's that's one of the a great way that you can help prevent you know knowing that your social security number is out there. And then, you know, 2023, we operate basically across the board with zero trust. So you assume your social security numbers are out there. And this is one of the things that you do. And like like Andre said, um, some sort of monitoring or something like that's also nice, too, because then, you know, if something does get opened up with your social security number. 
Yeah, you can't change your social security number, but you can change your passwords. So if your passwords end up on the dark web, absolutely 100%. Start going through a process of changing those. As we say on this show all the time, use a password manager. We have a whole show on password managers, and I don't really think anything's changed much from the information we gave on that show what, over a year and a half ago at this point. Well, um, all the information on that. What's that? Probably one you shouldn't use anymore based on a year and a half. Well, yeah, well I think we trash last pass on that one anyway, okay. but you know, I don't think any, that's what I mean. I don't think anything's changed significantly since, since we did that show. So it's still relevant. Go watch it, even though it's old. Um, but yeah, definitely password managers don't reuse passwords, change your passwords if they're exposed. But I also agree with these guys lock that credit, but also lock any family member who may be vulnerable. So your children, maybe your older parents, do something for them and lock their files as well, especially kids under the age of 18, because we see it with a lot of school breaches. There's tons of information out there on the dark web on with data that, of children that are under the age of 18 as a result of these breaches. And cyber criminals are using these clean social security numbers and clean credit histories to build credit profiles and destroy your kid's credit or it, it could happen on the on the back end. It could happen when you're old and, and you're just not aware of this stuff. So monitor senior citizens' credit, monitor young children's credit, lock those files when you can and where you can. That would be my advice. Just don't think about yourself. Think about your family members in this uh, whole situation too. All right, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen, for the question. Guys, remember, you can always post your comments. Uh, while we're recording live, we'll try to hit them on the show. If you happen to do it and you're watching the recording, we have team members who are watching those comments as well, and they'll send them our way. And we can talk about them uh, in the show as well. But remember, share our show and uh, tell your friends and family, and we will be back next week for another edition of the Security Squad Podcast. Take care, everyone. <laughs>